Good morning, good morning. Once again, it's a great, great day to be together. We're going to be studying a particular man this morning by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. I really have in mind today studying the resurrection of Christ, but Joseph is a big part of that record of Jesus' resurrection. But let's think about it for just a second. Jesus' resurrection is very, very important to us for a number of reasons. Romans 1, 3, and 4 says that because of the power of the resurrection, uh, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God. He declared to be the Son of God. And the resurrection also, according to Matthew 16, the resurrection shows Jesus had wonderful predictive power. He predicted that all this was going to happen to him. Matthew 16, 21, that he would suffer at the hands of the Jewish leaders, that he would be killed, he'd be crucified, and that he would be raised on the third day. And so this shows a lot about how Jesus knew exactly what was taking place. In Acts chapter 2, Peter shows uh, the resurrection of Jesus, how it is a fulfillment of prophecy, and how that, that established his authority. In fact, there in Acts uh, 2, uh, 31 and 32, this Jesus God did raise up, and now he's been highly exalted at the right hand of God. Uh, Peter comes to this conclusion in Acts 2 and 36, uh, this Jesus whom you crucified God has made both Lord and Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus is important uh, in order to see the authority. His authority as our king, as our shepherd. The resurrection of Jesus, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 17, uh, gives assurance to our salvation. If Christ has not been raised, Paul talked of it in this manner. He says if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. And we are yet in our sins. That's a terrible thought. But that's not the case. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, then our faith has great standing. Uh, we have great ground to stand uh, with our faith. And we can be forgiven of our sins and have assurance of our salvation. In Revelation 5 and verse 6, John looks up and he's able to see the throne of God. And he sees the lamb that was slain. The lamb that was slain was standing there. Standing there in victory. Yes, he is the lamb that was slain, but he also is the shepherd that is standing at the right hand of God. And so, looking at the resurrection of Christ gives great, great assurance to us, not only about our salvation, but about the ultimate victory of God over Satan. But we're going to be specific this morning and think about the burial of Christ. Christ was buried. This is a big part of the resurrection record. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and then He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. We're going to focus in, drill in on the burial of Jesus. And this causes us to look very closely at Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea. And we're going to notice about three areas of study in regard to Joseph. And so let's get started. First, I want us to think about some of his personal qualities. Some of his personal qualities. Now, the, resur the resurrection account is given in the last chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you know. The burial account is given in the next of the last chapters. Matthew 27, 
along about 57 starts. And then uh, Mark chapter 15, along about verse 42. And then Luke chapter 23, beginning about verse 50, discusses the burial. And then finally in John 19, 38 through 42, there is a discussion of the burial of Christ. And so uh, we can't be flipping back constantly. We would never get uh, finished with our lesson in time. So we'll just have to uh, make reference to these different places. So notice, if you will, there are some personal qualities about Joseph of Arimathea. And number one is that he's a disciple of the Lord. Matthew 27, 57. He is a disciple of the Lord. This is the most important quality. We're going to name off some qualities of Joseph, but this is the most important quality that he possesses. He's a follower. He's a learner of Jesus and has been for some time. That word disciple is very powerful in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 14, 26, Jesus talks about it a little bit. He says, uh, if any man comes to me and does not hate, does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, if he does not hate his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. All right? He follows that up with Luke 14, 27, where he says, now, whoever is not willing to take up his cross and bear his own cross cannot be my disciple. And then also in Luke 14, verse 33, Jesus said, whoever is not willing to renounce, to renounce all that he possesses, all that he has, cannot be my disciple. That's a, that, the word disciple is very powerful. Now go over to the uh, Gospel of John, and you look at John 8, verse 31. Jesus said, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And then if you look at John uh, 13, 34, and 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one, to, uh, one for another. And then in John 15, verse 8, Jesus said, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove that you are my disciple." The word disciple is huge in New Testament literature. And for Joseph of Arimathea to be referred to as a disciple of the Lord, he is a, he is a committed follower of Jesus. Now, he's a human being. He's not perfect. Okay? But he's worthy of our, our consideration. In John 19, 38, in that record, it says that sometimes Joseph was a secret disciple. Because he feared the Jews. Okay. So sometimes he wanted to keep his faith secret. But all in all, he was a very powerful example and a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So we see that he is a disciple. And this ought to challenge us, of course, to make sure that we can be, we can be known ourselves as a committed follower of Christ. By noticing these verses and inter internalizing them uh, for ourselves. Now also it says here in these records, that his, um, he was also a good and righteous man, Luke 23, verse 50. He was a good and righteous man. We're not, we're not surprised by this because he already said that he was a disciple. But a righteous person is one who seeks the truth. And that's what Joseph did. Jesus once said in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they should be filled. A one who becomes righteous, it doesn't happen by accident. He has to seek that out. He has to pursue it. He has to learn. He has to study. And he has to be the top priority in his life. And this is what characterized uh, Joseph. Also, we keep reading about Joseph. We read that he's a rich man. He's a rich man. 
Matthew 27, 57, also uh, here in these uh, burial accounts, Matthew 27, 57 says that he was a rich man. And this is important because not all rich men, rich men were able to become a disciple of the Lord. They, they were just too involved in their possession. We remember reading in Matthew 19, 16-22 about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. So some rich men just couldn't handle the challenge, but Joseph could. You know, Jesus once said in Luke 12, 15, a man's life consists not in the things which he possesses. And evidently, Joseph of Arimathea knew this. When Jesus talked about worry over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, when he talked about worry, he says, don't be anxious about the things you're going to eat. Don't be anxious about the things that you're going to drink. Don't be anxious about your body and what you're going to put on your body. Then he asks this question, is not life more than food? Is not your body more than the clothes you put on? Okay. Well, we can say that about a lot of things. Is your, not, is your life not more than what you are watching on TV? Is, is your life not more than what you possess? Okay. Is your life not more than the work that you do? Okay. True spiritual life of Christ involves a lot more than what we see. It involves mostly uh, how we build our heart through the knowledge of Christ. And so he was a rich he was a rich man. But we also see this about him. According to Mark uh, 15 and verse 43, we read that he looked for the kingdom of God. I love this statement about uh, Joseph of Arimathea. He was looking for the kingdom of God. Now, some of the Jewish population in Jesus' day just could not see Jesus from the Old Testament Scriptures. They could not see that he had a kingdom coming, but... Joseph could. It wasn't so hard to read about. Daniel chapter 2, for instance, I, I just bet you Joseph knew about Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, where it says that God in heaven would set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. I, I, could just, I just know that Joseph of Arimathea had read that and reread it and thought about it. I'm pretty sure that Joseph heard something about what Gabriel said to Mary early on. Luke chapter 1, 32 and 33. The angel Gabriel said to Mary concerning her son, He shall be great. Talking about her son Jesus she was about to have. He shall be great and he shall be called the son of the Most High. And he shall sit on the throne of his father David. And he shall rule over the house of Jacob. And of his rule and of his kingdom there shall be no end to it. I'm just about sure that Joseph had heard some of those uh, sentiments or those, even those very uh, words uh, from someone. Jesus himself often talked about the church or the kingdom. We remember his words in Matthew 16 to Peter in verse 18. Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And to you, Peter, and the rest of the apostles, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. This was a man, Joseph of Arimathea, he had enough insight, he had enough knowledge, he was looking not only for Christ, he, had, he was convinced he had found the Christ, but also he was concerned about the kingdom or church that Jesus would set up uh, on earth eventually. And then, here's an important quality. Here's an important quality. According to Mark 15, 43, Luke 23, 51, Joseph was 
a respected member of the Jewish council. He was a respected member of the Jewish council. Sometimes you might refer this, hear this council referred to as the Jewish Sanhedrin. Okay. These, these were the men. This was the group of men who had voted and thought very strongly that Jesus, Jesus should be crucified and put to death. But if you'll notice in Luke 23:51, Joseph of Arimathea had not consented unto this vote. He had not supported this vote. He had not supported this, this terrible deed. He had, he had spoken up against the death of Jesus. He had not supported it at all. Now, this teaches us something. Because, you know, if, if we were there in the first century and our Lord had been crucified and the Jewish Sanhedrin had had a big part of it, and then we heard that somebody was a member of that council, we would say, well, you know, he's a member of the Jewish council, and so he must be bad, but we have to be careful in our judgments. Okay? We have to be careful not to just group somebody in with the group because they're part of a group. Here is, here is Joseph of Arimathea, he is right in the midst of the Jewish community. Arimathea was a Jewish town. He is involved in the Jewish Sanhedrin. He's involved in the Jewish community. He's one of the leaders of propagating the Jewish religion. And yet, he was able to see Jesus Christ. And so it would not be fair at all to group him in with the others who did vote against Jesus. We have to be careful about that even in our day. We cannot just... Throw somebody in a group and say, well, they're not going to be interested in Christ. They're not going, they're not going to ever serve Christ. We will, we will oftentimes be very wrong about that. We must not think the worst of people. We must not try to group them in with other people. In other words, we must not make the decision for them. Our, our opportunity and our responsibility is to present the gospel before everyone that we possibly can. We cannot make the decision for them that they're going to reject Christ. Let's let them get right in front of Christ. Let's, let's let them see the words of the New Testament, the words of the Gospel, and let them make that decision for them. It's very dishonest for us just to eliminate somebody based on some group they may be in or some background they may have had. And so notice these personal qualities of Joseph Arimathea. In the second place, Let's notice some of his important actions that he took. And of course the big action is that he came and he asked for the body of Jesus. Jesus has died on the cross and he comes to Pilate. As these references here in Matthew 27, 58, Mark 15 and so forth points out. He come and asked for the body of Jesus. I believe it's in Mark 15 where it says that this was a very courageous thing. That he came boldly to do this. He came boldly to do this. It was a courageous thing for him to come to Pilate and ask for the body. What, what was so courageous about that? Okay. Why is that such a bold move? I'll tell you why it was. Because he didn't know what the answer would be. He didn't know going in what the consequences would be. He had no idea. He didn't know if, if Pilate would just shove him off. He didn't know if he would be arrested. Okay. He didn't know what the answer would be, but he went anyway. And yeah, there were some times when Joseph of Arimathea, you know, might have been a little bit weak in his faith and he, he would keep his faith secret. But here is a shining point in his life. He comes and he, he begs for the body of Jesus regardless of the consequences that's, that's to follow. 
we need to keep this in mind in regard to, to Joseph. And I know it's a scary, it's a scary, I don't know if there's any scarier thing in the world for us to think about as we are going home one day and we keep staring at this house and it looks kind of inviting. We've seen people at this house. We've seen them outside. They, we, we don't have any reason why they would not be nice people and yet we don't stop and offer them the gospel. We don't offer them an invitation to church because it's scary. We don't know what the other side's going to bring. We don't know what the answer's going to be. We don't know what the consequences are going to be. But look, we've got to, like Joseph, we've got to find the courage. We've got to find some kind of uh, 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 spiritual fortitude to go ahead and make that stop anyway and offer the gospel to someone anyway, even though we don't know what the answer is going to be. And we need to ask ourselves, what's the worst that could happen? Whatever it is that the worst could happen, it's going to be okay because the Lord is in control. So he asked for the body of Jesus and it was a very courageous thing to do. Now, it's amazing really what Pilate said. Pilate just granted him the wish. Usually what they did with crucified victims was they just took the bodies and placed them in some kind of a city dump. Just a mass grave. Why did Pilate allow this to happen with the body of Jesus? It's really amazing. One thing is, God is in control here. This is part of the overall plan of God. This is the fulfillment of Scripture. Okay? And so, one reason why Pilate just said yes to this is because, you know, God is in control. But, if you'll notice here, I think it's from the, from the Mark 15 account that he checks before Pilate lets um, Joseph have this body of Jesus. He checks with his he checks with his centurion, the centurion in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. He checks with him to make sure Jesus is dead, that he's actually dead. And the centurion comes back and says, yes, he is dead. He is dead. And so... Once Pilate knows he's dead, he allows Joseph to take that body. Again, think about something. Just, just a little bit ago in this sequence, the centurion stood facing Jesus and said these words, Surely this is, or this was, the Son of God. Is this the same centurion? Pilate checks with the centurion whether or not Jesus is actually dead. He comes back and says, yes, Jesus is dead. This is the one who would know. And also we read from Matthew 27, 54 and Mark 15, 39 that a centurion or the centurion who is close by to Jesus said these words, surely this is the Son of God. If that's the same centurion, then again, let's learn that lesson. Let's not, let's not, let's not just throw people into a group and say they're bad or they're never going to receive the gospel. Notice this centurion here that he opened up his heart to the Lord as well. So Joseph is taking some important actions here. And so he asked of the body. And once he received uh, that, then uh, he took the body down from the cross, according to Mark 15, 46. That's, that's no easy task. I believe that Joseph had other people, other disciples helping him 
to perform this task. He took the body down. Uh, Mark 15:46 also says that he had bought some linen, clean linen cloths, clothes, and he wrapped the body of Jesus in those linen uh, cloths. Then we further read that uh, he took the body of Jesus and he laid it in his own new tomb. Wherein a body had never laid before. Now there is something said back in Numbers 19.16 that um, under the old law of Moses that if you came in contact with a grave site um, that had actually a decaying body in there then you would be rendered unclean. This way though in the burial of Jesus nobody involved could be rendered uh, unclean whatsoever. He laid it in his own new tomb. Now, also, remember a prophecy from Isaiah 53 and verse 9 that Jesus would, would um, make his grave with the wicked and that a rich man would be involved uh, in his death. Or a rich, he, would, he would be uh, laid to rest by a rich man. Notice that from Isaiah 53 and verse number 9. But notice that Joseph comes. He has an some important actions to take. He asks for the body of Jesus. He receives the body of Jesus. He wraps that body in some linen cloth. He lays it in a new tomb, one that had never been used before, and something that he had. And then he rolled a great stone. This great stone that is laid before, that is put in the entrance of this tomb, it would take several men to roll this, this stone into this groove and then secure it. Uh, there. You might remember in Mark 16.3 on the first day of the week as some of the women were coming to further anoint the body of Jesus with spices, they were wondering in their minds, who are we going to get to remove the stone? They were headed toward that tomb because they felt like the body of Jesus needed more preparation, needed more attention but they also wonder just who it is that we're going to get to help us move that stone. That stone was huge and it would take more than one person, probably several men, uh, to move it. I want us to notice, though, that Joseph was a man of action. He had knowledge of Christ. We've seen that. He had a heart for Christ. We've seen that. But he acted on this. We would not be reading about Joseph today if he had not come and taken the action. If he had just kept his faith secret, if he had just read up on some of the prophecies of Jesus and his kingdom, all well and fine, but if he had not come and taken this action about the body of Jesus, we would not be reading about him today. He was a man of decisive action. And folks, you know, all these things that we do, in preparation of our heart and coming to a knowledge, a better knowledge of God's will. It is all meant to make us obey Christ, submit to Him, and learn to do more for Him, become people of action like Joseph of Arimathea. Reminded of, of the story Jesus told in Luke 10 about the Good Samaritan and how the priests and Levites, surely these were good men, okay, and they were doing some good tasks that day in the service to the temple. But they passed by on the other side and did not help the man who was in need. But the Samaritan did. He was, he was a good man. He was a man of action. I'm reminded also of the Apostle Paul in Acts 17 
Paul was in the city of Athens and Acts 17, 16 and 17 says when he looked around at that city that his spirit was stirred within him. His spirit was provoked. Okay? Because he served the true and living God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And he looked around at all these people serving all these idols and all these souls that are lost. His spirit was stirred, but it stirred him to do something. He went right into the synagogues that he could find. He went right into the marketplaces. He began to reason with them concerning the existence of the the true God of the universe, the true God of Scripture. These are men of action. The Good Samaritan was a man of action. Paul was a man of action. Joseph of Arimathea was a man of action. You might say that he used his blessings to bless other people. Here he was, a rich man. Here he was, he had knowledge of Scripture. He had several things going for him. He used his blessing, his blessings to bless other people. And God used him to do a very important task in his overall scheme of things. And then finally, Joseph had some help. We looked at some of his important qualities, some of the important actions he took, but he had some help. And we see this from the account in John 19, 38-42. Nicodemus was one big help. Nicodemus is the same Nicodemus who had come to Jesus by night, wanted to talk about the new birth, and Jesus taught him there. This same Nicodemus came to help. Nicodemus brought some myrrh, and some aloes and some spices in order to help prepare the body of Jesus for the burial. This shows us a little bit, you know, the prophecy about Jesus, Psalm 16, verse 10. And Peter quotes from this in his great sermon in Acts 2. But the prophecy is, That Jesus would not be abandoned in Hades. And his flesh would not see corruption. The body of Jesus is going into that tomb, but it is not going to decay, not one little bit. But these women and Nicodemus and perhaps even Joseph did not yet understand that prophecy. And they were preparing the body of Jesus just as, it, as if it would begin to decay. They did not really anticipate the resurrection. Which shows that they were not making, that nobody made up this story of the resurrection. It actually happened. Many of the people involved surrounding Jesus doubted very seriously. They didn't really believe, they didn't really understand that the resurrection would take place. They didn't have a predisposition to believe in the resurrection. But later, because of very powerful evidence, the very fact that the tomb was empty, the very fact that Jesus was around appearing to everybody, because of all of that and their witness to seeing him ascend up on high, Because of all of that evidence, very strong evidence, they came to believe in the resurrection of Jesus, but only after very strong evidence. And so notice he had some help. Nicodemus helped him. The women stood ready to help him. In fact, 
You'll notice in each of these places, Mark 15, Luke 23, Matthew 27, the women were noticing very carefully what Nicodemus and Joseph were doing. And they noticed particularly where they buried Jesus because they had in mind they were going to rest on the Sabbath day because they're still serving under the old law. They're going to rest on the Sabbath day, but on the first day, very early on the first day, they're going to be heading right back to where Jesus is buried, and they're going to take that body, and they're going to anoint that body somewhere. That's what they have in their mind. But notice this. They, they knew where Jesus was buried. Yeah. Some of the critics, you know, now, even nowadays, will say, well, you know, the reason the body of Jesus was never found is because nobody really knows where he was buried. Well, that's, that's really uh, ridiculous to say. There's Joseph of Arimathea, very well known, very rich, very well known to the Jews. Okay. Uh, he knew exactly where he placed Jesus, and if he would tell anybody. These women were watching very closely. You know, it was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Joseph, and uh, one called uh, Joanna and others, several women involved here. They knew exactly where Jesus was. And the reason they could not find the body of Jesus is because he was actually raised from the dead. You see, in talking about the resurrection, the first thing you've got to ask is, was Jesus actually dead? Did he actually die? Pilate confirms this. He, he with the centurion, who's the eyewitness, he's in charge of the crucifixion, he confirms that actually Jesus died. Secondly, was Jesus actually buried? By people who were well respected and honest, he was buried. And because we know where he was buried, we also know he was raised from the dead. God had a plan to bring Jesus into this world. And how thankful we are. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on that first day of the week. That's why we assemble here today on the first day of the week. And that's why we plead with each of us, all of us, to make sure that we're walking in the steps of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are following in faithful steps with Him. This morning, examining our own lives, you must look to God yourself and ask, where am I? Where am, I, where am I at in this story? We live on this side of the cross. How thankful we are. Now we have the New Testament to show us how to get in contact with the blessings of that crucifixion, the blessings of that burial, the blessings of that resurrection, the blessing of that ascension up on high. Paul speaks of this in Romans 6, 3 and 4. He says... Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. The invitation is yours. Do you need the Lord this morning? Would you like to make your wants and wishes known before this good crowd today? Please, please come right now as we stand together. Matt, we sing.